Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll get to the topic of this episode, which is the Last Dance documentary on Michael Jordan. Um, had a really good conversation when we, uh, we we talked for a long time and actually divided it up into two episodes. But before we get into that, uh, we did want to just take a quick moment to talk about the topic that really is on everyone's minds, which are the uh, the national movement for increased uh, social justice and and Black Lives Matter movement. Um, obviously. Basketball feels a little bit trivial time with there's so many challenges. So just wanted to kind of jump on and, and talk a little bit about that before we get into the, the conversation on Michael Jordan. So, so Kevin, any thoughts on, uh, on the movement we're seeing? Obviously a lot going on, a lot of things um, to take in, but uh, any thoughts from your end? Yeah, it's been really interesting. It's just been really interesting to watch and see. And, uh, you know, part of me is like, I, and again, we, we fully, you know, like we're two white guys talking about this. Um, talking about race, talking about about civil rights. Um, it's weird to be talking about civil rights in 2020. It feels like we should be far more advanced than than we are. So it's, so that's that's really interesting um, and and probably frustrating would be the the better word for that. Something in me and I, as I watch this 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 movement is, uh, and this is something I don't talk about this a lot. Like this has been something that's kind of been a priority for me over the last several years of I, as I've dug into this topic and, and systems that are in place that, that create, um, they don't create racism, but almost promote racism and systemic oppression. Um, so that it's not, it's not new to me. I just don't talk about it at times. I, I try to do things in the community, but it's maybe for, for the first time for me, like I actually feel like there will be change. Um, there is hope. I didn't feel like there was a lot of hope with the Kaepernick stuff and that's not an anti-Kaepernick stance. Um, it just didn't feel like there was enough societal conversation. Um, it still felt very two-sided. This feels like, I mean, if I saw it right, there were protests in 50 states and I think 18 countries. Uh, so yeah. there's an argument to be made. This is the largest civil rights movement in, in history, which is fascinating. I've seen, like, the, there's a video came out from Los Angeles. I mean, it was mind-blowing, the amount of people. And, of course, like, what about COVID? You know, whatever. But it's like, it, it was just, it was mind-blowing. And so it feels like it's not going away. It feels like real change is, is being uh, not just demanded, but being listened to and heard. And it's not just from one side. I'm seeing people who don't normally speak up, speak up. Um, and it's not that they were ever against it before. They were just silent about it before. Uh, and so it's, it's a really fascinating time. And I'm, I'm, my hope is that it leads to change. But it's certainly something people can't, we can't just ignore it. Um, you can't just, it, it's privileged to just turn off social media and, and ignore what's happening. Um, but but I think the question for all of us is, why is it this way? Um, and maybe that's not been my experience, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not real. And and what can I do to understand that experience? And how can I make that experience not be repeated as much as it's possible, as much as I have power, how can I make sure that experience is not repeated for people? And so it, it just feels like more people are, are understanding it this time. And I don't know, I don't have a reason for why that is, uh, but it feels like it's it's being more embraced this time. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, I, I think, you know, the, I think most people understand that there's no place for racism in our, in our society, you know, calling that out is important. 
Um, but I think there's probably more agreement on that topic. Again, how we get there and how we move forward is, um, you know, there's there's more conversation on on what that looks like. And you know that from a leadership standpoint too, that really is the hard part. Is how do you build lasting change from a movement that kind of sprung out? I don't want to say out of nowhere because obviously this, this has been going on for far too long. And you know, we've had mass protests in the past um, from Ferguson to you know really a lot in the last five years. So I don't want to say this sprung out of nowhere. It obviously didn't. But, you know, the hard part is how do we, how do you harness this for true results and things that can be lasting? And I think, you know, we could probably have an episode about that and, and talk about it for an hour and maybe we will. But, you know, I think that's one of the, the most important things um, is, is how do we do that? How do we, who's going to take up the leadership baton and, and drive this to, you know, structural changes, systemic changes that, you know, again, it, it might it might be impossible to eradicate the idea of racism existing um, because it's a problem that's gone back to the dawn of mankind. You know, so I think ending that would be a, would be obviously everybody's first choice. And I think that would be ideal. But how do we how do we put protections in for people of color and how do we make systems more just and equitable? And, you know, there's there's real important policy conversations that need to be happening. And I, and I hope there are people who take that leadership baton and take the, the anger and the frustration and the hurt that is so clear right now and, and are able to make that into even more lasting changes, the kind of stuff that did come through in some of the uh, civil rights marches and, and, and campaigns that Dr. Martin Luther King had in the 60s, you know, some real concrete things. Obviously, we had a long way to go from then. We have a long way to go now. But you know, how can we get some things that really improve? So, you know, for us, you know, Kevin and I have talked about this on a couple episodes, even before this came up, you know, we need to do a better job of, of listening to people who are, who are coming from a different standpoint uh, than us. You know, we talked to Kristen a while back. That was actually before um, all this happened. Um, and, and we want to, we want to be talking to more people who have uh, an experience that's different from us. So I guess that would be our call to action uh, from this, you know, we, we're looking for people who can come in and, and talk about this. So, so let us know um, who is out there doing really important work, who is living that experience and, and, and making this country a better place. You know, we want to want to give them a platform on the show, however small it is, but we know that, that there's so many people out there and, and you know, we're going to do our part to, to find more voices that are like that and give more of a platform uh, for those voices because they need to be heard. Absolutely. And, and again, it's, it's a, this movement has a long way to go, which is unfortunate, but it's true. And so it, it's going to be my, my hope is that, and I, it feels like it's not going to happen. My hope is that this doesn't just go away in, in two weeks and move, move on to the next thing. Um, Cause that, that doesn't create change, right? People are protesting for a reason. They're, they're like sacrificing time and all sorts of other things for and health for, for a reason. And so it's, we're not going to, we're not going to root out racism. Like you said, it's, it's just not possible. Um, that'd be awesome. Um, but people are, are broken and messed up, but we can root out systems that, that promote and encourage and empower racism, even if it's unintentional, right? People are making decisions that they don't even know why certain laws are in place. Um, they're just, I'm just enforcing the law. Um, and so it's, I, I think this will, I hope this will be the time where lasting change happens, but it'll take time. Um, it'll take a long time. And so if, if you're in this fight, you know, rest up, because uh, it's going to, it's going to be a long battle. This is not. Uh, don't don't get tired of of the message, and that'll be the things like we're going to be talking about the same things over and over and over and over and over, um, and it's going to be easy to feel like there's no progress because it feels like there hasn't been progress. But 
it, it will take time. Um, it will take action. It's not just words. And that's where I think in, in, in our world, in the college sports world specifically, there's a lot of people who, who would have never made statements who are now making statements. And now we have to start to live it. Uh, and that's the question I've been asked a lot lately is like, are people just making it putting out statements and creating, you know, unique creative branding campaigns around it? Um, because, right. Cause college sports is a copycat world and we just do what everybody else does and they feel the pressure um, or is it different? And I think both is the answer, but, but it feels like now, and we talked a lot about student athletes and social media and the social media world. Now you can't hide from it, right? You've seen student athletes using their platform and their voice. Like you don't get to put out a PR statement and have a racist program, even an unintentionally racist program, like saying things to players, putting certain policies, you don't, you, you have to live it. And so now it feels like those who have never felt like they have had a voice, have a voice. Um, and that gets to hold people accountable and bring things into light. And that's how you create change. Uh, and so it's going to be really fascinating to see how the college sports world operates. Um, Cause now we have to live it, right? We, we put out the statements. We've, we've gone in the marches, we've supported our student athletes, but are we really going to support our student athletes um, and actually create real change? That, that's the challenge. And I, and I hope that our leaders in, in our organizations are, are up to that challenge. Yeah, I think about the the day after a lot and a lot of things that, you know, that I'm thinking about, you know, the day after you miss a workout, what do you do? The day after you get all excited about writing your book, what about the day after? You know, how do you, how do you come back and, and make sure that that happens? Because like you said, it's going to be a long fight and there's a long way to go. And, you know, there's a, there's a role that all of us can play and it'll be different for everybody. I don't think there's any point in, in, in shaming people for the way they try to make progress. And, you know, I think we're only going to get there if we can all, um, you know, move forward together. So again, just wanted to have a few quick words on this. It means a lot to, uh, to Kevin and I to, to share some thoughts. Again, we might get into this in more of a podcast, but we didn't want to release a, uh, an episode about, you know, a very, I guess, in a way, pedestrian topic, like a, like a documentary or movie about Michael Jordan. Uh, but we really enjoyed that conversation, but we just wanted to share this first. So thank you again for listening to it. And uh, let's jump into The Last Dance. All right, friends, welcome back. Episode 41 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kevin DeShazo, along with Mark Hodgkin. Thank you for joining us. Mark, how are things down in Florida? Things are good. We're uh, feel like we have we've been having the same conversation for a while on uh, on that, but living living through our quarantine existence as we're uh, trying to get through the summer here, and everything's good. And I was thinking about this last time we were cutting up this episode. The last uh, couple is how can we kind of break this up and maybe ask something a little bit different. So one of the things I keep coming back to: what has been a surprise positive? coming out of uh, this whole pit coronavirus thing. And again, not to be insensitive to real suffering. We've had a lot of economic impact. We've obviously had a lot of people lose their lives. But one of the things that I was thinking of was I've been able to connect with so many people either from my past jobs or people I've just known on Twitter that I've had a chance to make personal connections with. So I'll just be reaching out to people and say, hey, love 15 minutes. Let's have a phone call. Let's connect. And you know, kind of build those relationships from ones that we just know somebody by their Twitter avatar and and maybe not really know them as a person as much. So I've been trying to make those connections uh, a little bit better. But Kevin, anything, anything that's come out of this that's been kind of surprisingly good from uh, your end? Yeah, I think for me, uh, the slower pace of life, because that's very counter to actually how I tend to operate. I'm usually busy. I'm usually traveling. Um, I'm up early, up late getting things done, 
baseball practice, baseball games, basketball practice, basketball games, taking kids different places in the midst of traveling and work. And so it's this season, obviously none of that has been happening. No travel. Our kids are actually just now um, restarting their, their little league baseball, which has been, which has been good. Um, but we've been forced into this slower pace. And again, I usually don't do very well with rest uh, and, and going slow. It's, it's a, it's a practice I've had to figure out over the past five years, but this season it's been forced um, to just slow down and to be present. And it's been really good. Like I've, I've enjoyed the slower pace. I miss traveling. I miss being out. I miss some of the busyness, um, but I've actually learned like I can go slow and things can be okay. And I can, <laughs> I can operate, I can survive. That doesn't mean I'm lazy. You know, it's like, I, I, I like to just be going. And so for me to just learn to, to rest, to just sit, um, it's been, it's been good. Whether that's been, you know, board games with our family, you know, simple things, which I've always enjoyed, but now it's just been a lot of that. It's like, well, that's okay. And I've, I've realized kind of on that is parents have different expectations than kids, right? We think our kids need all of these things, or we get really bored with all these things. And our kids think anything is amazing, right? Like we've got to go to Disney world. They're okay. Going across the street and throwing a football. Like, um, and so just the simple, slower pace of things, uh, has been, has been really good. That's cool. It's, uh, it's definitely forced a lot more reflective time, I think, for, for all of us. And I'm um, excited about this conversation today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the documentary everybody in the sports area has been talking about, uh, which is The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan piece that came out on ESPN. Uh, maybe not a true documentary, and we'll get into that, but definitely an interesting kind of insight into one of the most I guess, famous, most impactful athletes of all time. So we have a good conversation about uh, kind of the leadership uh, things that we took out of that. I think there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. So really looking forward to this conversation. But before we dive into that, Kevin's first time we've talked since uh, your new book, Keep Chopping Wood, came out. How's, uh, how's the reception been? How has everything been going uh, with that project? Man, it's been great. I think it's sold like 2 million copies this, in the last week, um, which has been really fantastic. Uh, no, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's such an interesting process. And, you know, we talked about it last time, I think a little bit, you know, you create something and you put it into the world and will anybody but your mom think it's good? Will anybody but your mom care about it? And so it's just been really fun seeing people buying it, people reading it, people sharing about it. I've, you know, the texts and DMs and emails I've got of, of how it's impacting people, how they're using it with their teams. Uh, it's just encouraging, right? Because that's that's the point. Like I, this is easy to say, but I genuinely don't care that much about sales. Um, I love the stories of impact, uh, and so it's those, those are the parts that are, that are fun and it's it's interesting. So I've been reading it to my my oldest boys at night, like their bedtime story. One one little chapter uh, a night. Again, it's it's a short book, so it's not lasting us too long. Finished it last night, and my eight year old said, "Well, you have to do another one." He's like, "You left us on a cliffhanger. I I need more." I was like. All right, bud. So it's just, it's fun for my kids like to, to enjoy it. To, like my kids are kind of in the story. I, I put little tidbits about, about each of my sons in there to see if they would recognize it. Um, but for them to enjoy it and say like, dad, we, we, now we want another one. That's, that's good enough. And so it's, it's been really fun. That's very cool. Yeah. That was the first time they've, they've read it and didn't uh, talk to him about yep. it beforehand or share any parts of it. No, not until it arrived in the mail. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I got my copy in the mail. It looks, it looks really good. I, I went for the uh, paperback cover, um, got a digital copy obviously as well, but uh, definitely recommend everybody checking that out if they haven't already. Absolutely. It's, it's, again, it's a short read. I mean, it's like 25, 30 minutes. And, and the idea is not just this like 30,000 foot motivational, inspirational thought. It's like there, there's some of that, 
but also some real practical ways to put that into practice and, and get better as, as a leader, as a team, as an individual. And what's been really fun is seeing, you know, our world, our world obviously is sports. Um, I didn't write it for a specific industry, but that's, that's where I spend my time, but I've had, you know, distribution companies buy it for their whole organization. I've had schools, I've had uh, hospitals, I've had all, all these different um, industries kind of buying into it, which is, which is really fun. So that's, that's the simple things like the message matters, wh whoever you are, wherever you are at in life. So go, go check it out. Keep chopping uh, And we'd love to hear any feedback uh, as you guys get it. Um, keep sharing the stories of, of impact, but I just said, excited to get into this, to this episode and talk about Michael Jordan. We are both children of the nineties. I mean, we were born in the eighties, but most of our life was, was lived in that nineties Jordan era. That's what we grew up on, uh, on, on the M MJ and the bulls. And so I, that, that again, like you said, not necessarily a documentary, that show was really enjoyable, really entertaining. And I, I think we'll have some fun leadership insights, um, as we dig into this episode. Excellent. Really looking forward to this conversation. As Kevin mentioned in the open, uh, definitely both grew up in the era of Michael Jordan. Been a little bit, a little bit crazy to to hear some of the people that we know that maybe are a little bit younger who hadn't felt like they they lived through this. It was all new to them, learning about MJ and this dynasty, and uh, that's uh, <laughs> a little disturbing uh, for our end. But you know, really interesting to kind of see again, not an unbiased portrait of Jordan and this whole situation. Uh, definitely taken from Jordan's point of view, definitely made with his cooperation. I believe even he might have even had a producer role in this. But um, I guess to get us started, Kevin, there's a lot to unpack here. But initially, I know you said before we came on that a lot of folks have been asking you, you know, about Michael Jordan and his leadership or lack of leadership or however you would describe it. But what are your initial thoughts on on MJ himself? Cool. That could be probably an hour long discussion. Uh, just on it. So I it was really fascinating to watch. Right. And so again, I, I was a, um, like, like most people around our age, like I was a massive, massive Jordan fan, Bulls fan, um, wanted to, wanted, of course, wanted to be Michael Jordan, wanted to work for the Chicago Bulls. Like, I mean, just, just loved Jordan, loved Scottie Pippen, had been a fan of Phil Jackson for forever, but I thought it was really fascinating to watch Jordan. And I have, I have a lot of thoughts, good and bad. I mean, he's human, right? So there there's, it's not a black or white, good and bad thing. Um, I think from a leadership, A, from a competitor perspective, Michael Jordan is one of the greatest competitors of all time. Um, he was extremely driven. He wanted to be the best. He wanted to win at a high level, which is a great and good thing, right? And, and not just did he want that, he was willing to put in the work to become that, right? So he, he matched his, his action with his ambition, which I think is really critical. Most people don't do that, right? I want to be this. Well, I just want to be that. I don't want to do the work to create it. And I, and I love some of the scenes of Jordan, the greatest in the world. And I, I would still say the greatest of all time, still in the gym by himself, putting up shots. It's like, you don't, he doesn't have to do that, but that's how you get to become the best, right? There's no glory in that. There's no um, award for that, but there is, but there is a reward for that, right? Like of, of putting in, putting in the work. Um, and so I loved the competitive side of Jordan. I loved the work ethic side of Jordan um, from a leadership perspective, again, kind of all over the board. I, I, you know, the phrase we use all the time is, was he, a, are we a leader worth following, right? Is he someone I would want to, uh, to emulate? Is he someone I would want to play for, to play with, to work for, have my kids be coached by? No. <laughs> I, I, and I don't, there's, for me, there's not a wavering on that. It's just, no. Um, was he a winner? Yes. And, and the question I had uh, talking with a coach yesterday was, did he win the right way? Um, because we justify all these actions for outcomes, 
well, yes, he was a tyrant. Yes, he was a bully. Yes, he berated people. Yes, he was a jerk. Yet, and as he said, yeah, you can call me a tyrant. He's like, but that's you. You haven't ever won anything. Well, that doesn't justify how you, how you treat people along the way, right? You can, my, my question to leaders and coaches and teams, whether it's sports or not, is always, hey, that's fine. You got the outcome. Could you have done it in a better way? Did you do it the right way? Did you do it the best way? Because, you know, and we, we talked before we got on the on, um, started recording, and we'll probably get into it a little bit. Jordan's teams won at a high level. Uh, the Spurs won at a high level. The Warriors won at a high level. And all very different cultures, all very different styles of leadership, all very different um, styles of relationship. And so I'm not here to say any one of those is necessarily right, um, but it's always what Jordan's way doesn't, isn't the way, right? And it's, it's how do people feel along the way? Do they feel respected? Do they feel trusted? Do they feel um, valued or do they feel used? Um, are they afraid? I think a lot of his leadership style was just transferring fear <laughs> into people. If you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. You know, And we talk about the phrase all the time, calling people up versus calling people out. It was a lot of calling people out and shaming them. Um, and you see that today, right? The outcome today is none of those guys have relationships. There's no respect. Um, they just have rings. Yeah. You know, one of the lines that I, I jotted down because I want to remember it exactly was was from Jordan. He said, my mentality was to go out and win at any cost. If you don't want to live that regimen or mentality, then you don't need to be alongside me because I'm going to ridicule you until you get on the same level as me. And if you don't get on the same level, then it's going to be hell for you. And again, it, sports are different, right? Like in some ways, the, the what's tolerated on the sidelines of a football game or a basketball game would never be tolerated in a boardroom. And that's a whole other discussion. And we could, we could get into that. And, and I'm not here to say that, that high standards are, are bad or it, it, the way he did it was the wrong way. The quote really kind of stuck with me because watching through the show, yes, they, they won, but I'm not sure he ever did bring anyone up to the same level as him. Um, I don't know if that was your impression or, or not, but you know, he, he did definitely drag these guys along. Um, these are all professional athletes. They're all guys at the top of their game. But, you know, I don't think he ever made his teammates his equal as far as competitiveness or the way they kind of approached this thing. You know, they went along with it, and they 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 won, obviously. And, and again, you can kind of get into how much that was due to his just unbelievable talent and skill and how much is, is – "Quote unquote leadership or or judging the team, but I I kind of paused on that because I'm wondering, you know, you saw him ridiculing Scott Burrell and you saw him, you know, talking about Horace Grant and they talked about how the way Scotty Pippen wasn't ready or was was sitting out to the end of the season, which is another part of this whole thing. But I don't know if he ever, I don't know that 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 was my question. I don't, I don't know how, what your take would be on it. Well, it's tough, right? Because again, sports is a win at all costs culture is is kind of the mindset and 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 we, we like i said we, we always justify the result or we justify all the actions as long as you win nothing else it doesn't really matter and again it's not about wrong or right it's like that's that's not the question is is it's is there better is there a better way is there a better option is there a better route um and because it's not and as you as you talk to leaders whether it's in sport or otherwise, but, but let's stick with sports. You talk to any leader who has won at a high level, a championship winning coach, um, a, a player who won championships at the end of their career, they don't talk about the championships or the rings. It's always about the people. 
and almost all like, I wish I would have been better at the relationship. I wish I would have invested more because yeah, the rings were fun. The win, like, you know, Billy Donovan, when he won at Florida, he, he's like, is that it? Like almost depressed. And he was at the top of top of his, of, of his, of his game. And because it's the people that matter. And so yes, winning, winning matters. But th- at the end of the day, we're all, we're going to, we're going to remember the people and the relationships. And, and again, you look at those guys today, there's, there's not respect. There's not relationship. And, and, it was interesting because like Horace and Scotty and some of these guys were still trying to like, they showed up for this quote unquote documentary. It's like, Hey, we're going to talk nice about Mike. We're going to you know say this good time be, have some honesty in there, but mostly like, all right, well, we're here to build his image too. Cause Jordan had control over a lot of the stuff. Right. And as he always did, right. He had, he wanted ultimate control over everything. Well, then these guys saw the actual finished product and like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He was going to be honest, like honest, honest and, and take, sh- okay, well, you know what? He's a snitch. He was this, he was that he was, and, and it's, there's just not respect or relationship or connection with these guys. And again, a lot of coaches are going to say, yeah, it's great, but they still won. It's like, I get it, but none of them enjoyed it. There was never joy in, in that moment. And joy should be a byproduct of winning of, of healthy culture. And I think, um, again, this isn't to say Jordan was a, was a bad human. This isn't to say he's like, you know, whatever. It just, I, there, there are certain parts of his leadership style. And I think if he were honest, he would say, I wish I would have done things differently. You know, like looking back, I could, I could have, I could have interacted with so-and-so a little different. I could have listened to so-and-so like I didn't have to be that way all the time. Yeah. I watched the, sh- I watched the show with my wife who obviously knew who Michael Jordan was, but is not a big basketball fan. She likes sports, but she just hadn't followed it. Right. So she, one of the questions she asked me and I, I didn't have a good answer, but I think we're, we're kind of circling it was, she said, why didn't he ever go into coaching? Right. Like why? Why did he, you know, he's so competitive. He's such a basketball guy. He, he's a student of the game. He, he does all those things. Why did he never go into coaching? Obviously did go into uh, executive roles with the wizards and, and uh, I think also with the Hornets where he's a part owner. But I think part of it might be that, that maybe it just didn't translate this, this, this leadership that he had as a player. I'm not sure it would have translated well to being a coach. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, and, and, coaching is so much about teaching and relationships and building the culture. And that that's not his strength. Um, guys, I think, you know, we, we talk about, we have a tool we use with teams guns is the flywheel of, of high performance. And like what are consistently high performing teams have in, in its relationship communication or communication relationship alignment, execution capacity. And most teams in and out of sport are focused on execution, right? We need more wins. We need more revenue. We need more sales. We need more, widgets, right? Whatever, whatever execution looks like. And that's the, that's the ultimate focus. And if that's not working, it's got to be alignment. Do we have the right people in the right, right seats on the bus? Get, get these guys out. We want new guys in. Um, and when you only focus on results, you get a compliant team. And that's what the Bulls had. They had a compliant team. People did their job. They did it out of fear and they tried to perform like at their best, but because they didn't want to get yelled at, right? They didn't want to get, get berated. The best teams focus on relationship and communication, which leads to higher performance, which leads to consistent execution because you have an actual committed team. I'm committed to the vision. I'm committed to the leader. I'm committed to each other. And that's what you didn't have on these Bulls teams because Jordan only cared about the execution. He only cared about the results. And my opinion is, is one of the only reasons the Bulls teams worked, maybe the only reason uh, there's, there's not a single reason, but one of the biggest factors is, is Phil Jackson did care about the communication and the relationships. 
right? Whatever, whatever that part they had was, was due to Phil, which is why Jordan wouldn't have been a good coach because he didn't get that part of it. All he cared about was winning. And so, and, and you saw that as, you know, not to take shots at the guy, but in his time with, with the Hornets, like from personnel and with the Wizards from personnel, he, he was not a good identifier of talent, right? And not a good, he, he didn't bring in good talent into systems and, and put people together. Well, that's what coaches do as well. Like they, they right. see talent and they develop it and they mesh it together. Um, and, and Phil was really the wizard at all of that. And he got Jordan to buy into it a little bit. Um, but Phil was really the piece that, that had the relationship and the communication piece. Yeah. I kept coming back to him as well, you know, thinking about this and you know, Phil Jackson's an interesting guy on in a lot of levels, a really good player, obviously maybe cut from a slightly different cloth than you'd think of NBA coaches. He's, he's essentially almost like a hippie from, from back in the sixties and very in touch with, with a lot of spiritual stuff, which is not the first thing you think of when you think of a coach. And it's easy to say, well, Phil Jackson, you know, Hey, he won six rings with the bulls with Jordan and Pippen. And then he went to LA and he had Kobe and Shaq and he won, I don't remember four or five more um, out there, you know, how good of a coach is he? And I think watching, especially when we look at it through the lens of that 1997, 98 season, which, you know, they call it the last dance, but it was just truly a circus, right? If you start thinking about all the things that are going on with there, with a team that's chasing a three-peat, um, uh, a guy like Jordan just managing him and that the, the, the huge ego, the huge persona um, and this kind of, again, will he retire? Will he not? You know, where's he going to play? I'm only playing for Phil on the flip side. The bulls have announced that Phil Jackson will not be coming back under any circumstances. Essentially already have already decided that that Tim Floyd is going to end up being there and everybody kind of knows it. Um, you know, Phil Jackson's not being invited to, uh, the wedding of, I think, Jerry Krause's daughter or whatever it is. You got Scottie Pippen, who's been feuding with the management and the ownership of the Bulls since he signed the below market rate contract, you know, six years earlier. So he's taking his time and, and basically saying that, hey, I didn't have my surgery until September because I wanted the first half of the season off. I feel like they were paying me half price. I'm going to pay half that. Oh, and then Dennis Rodman, you know, and everything that goes in, into that, um, which, again, if you didn't grow up with this, it might be hard to understand what a, what a character Rodman was in the 1990s. You know, now we have Twitter and we have a, this look at all these guys on their Instagram feeds and stuff that, that you didn't. But Dennis Rodman was really unlike anything I've ever seen in sports as far as the player and the things that went around with them. So you, you add all those things up. I don't care how talented the team is. That's not going to be an easy thing. And, and they talked about it. The, you know, again, we'll talk about, this is kind of on the court stuff a little bit more, but the Pacers were a really good team. Um, the, the Jazz were a really, really good team. I was, I was one of the rare kids in the 90s, so I, I just loved the, the Utah Jazz as a kid and loved the Stockton Malone. And they were kind of the anti-Bulls in a lot of ways, and they were really, really good and really, really confident in 1998. So this was not like a, you know, oh, they just have to kind of roll the ball out and they're going to get this three-peat and walk off into the sunset. There was a ton of stuff going around. And you know, you keep thinking like how, how in the world could anybody keep this together? And it always came back to Phil Jackson and this very calm presence, this kind of center of the storm, you know, the, the guy who was, he was making those connections with each one of his players. He, he knew that, well, okay, Jordan is Jordan and, and Judd Bushler is not going to be Michael Jordan. So I have to relate to them differently. You know, Dennis Rodman is definitely not Michael Jordan. Dennis Rodman is, 
uh, he's going to need his time to go to Vegas and, and hang out with girls and, and do whatever uh, other stuff um, just because that's how he's wired. So how do you, how do you bring them all together? And I think that was why I kept coming to it. And I think the, the, the simplest reason was those connections that he was able to make with each of the players, knowing that I have 12 guys on the team. I can't treat them all like MJ that maybe how Jordan sees it. I'm going to try to bring everybody up to my level, but as a coach, he had to kind of be the, the counterbalance to that to say, you know, we need Steve Kerr to do what Steve Kerr does really well. And we need Rodman to be what he does really well, which is that energy and, and be the best rebounder of all time and, and do those glue things. And I can't treat them all the same. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make it personal. I'm going to be kind of the opposite of the way Jordan was where he looked at you maybe as just, okay, you're a cog in, in the wheel of, of my dynasty. And, and that's what I kept coming back to with, with Jackson, just super impressed with the way he handled it. And again, one of the few people in the whole thing who didn't seem to let the emotion of the situation dictate his actions. And hundred percent agree. And I think, and, and to Jordan's credit, you know, he deserves, um, he bought into that, right? Like he didn't have to, he, he had a lot of trust and respect for Phil to say like, if that's what, if that's what you think, then, then I'm in for that. Right. He could have, he given, you know, you, we know how sports operate. Like sports are generally um, player driven leagues, right? Especially NBA, like player has, has power. Um, especially the NBA, probably more than most sports. The, the player has more power than the coach. So Jordan could have dictated a whole lot of things, uh, but he trusted Phil. And and Phil got Jordan to to trust in other people, um, right, to, to make the pass to Steve Kerr, to trust a Horace Grant or whatever it may be. Um, and and so the Jordan deserves a lot of credit for that, but also Phil with the way he approached it, right? He couldn't demand that from Jordan. He had to know what buttons to push with Jordan to say, like, hey, I know you want to win, at a high level, here's how you actually win at the highest level is you've got to let these guys do, do whatever, whatever they do. And, and to your point earlier of of standards don't change, right. But how we, how we achieve those, there's a standard of behavior, but it's going to, how we get there is going to be different with everyone, right? Like we expect the best effort from Rodman and, but he, his best effort and how we get that from him is going to be very different than how we get that out of Jordan, which is going to be very different than how we get that out of Steve Kerr. And so Phil knew the team well enough, like you said, to know what each player needed. And I think it's interesting. Uh, I could be wrong on this. So I'm thinking off the top of my head. I think the only person from those teams who's gone on to coaching is Steve Kerr from any of those Bulls teams. And this is that's not a criticism. I, I, think that's, I think that's true. It could be someone listening can correct us. But I think that's the only coach, the only player from any of those Bulls teams that ever went on to coach. And you look at Steve Kerr's leadership style, it's very Phil Jackson. <laughs> Right. He understands players. He understands what they need. He builds the connections. It's not Michael Jordan leadership. It's more Phil Jackson leadership. Uh, and, and so Phil was, was kind of the key to all that, but, um, but Jordan deserves a lot of credit for buying into Phil's system and having an, an incredible level of, of trust in Phil Jackson and Tex winner. It wasn't always easy, right? He, he battled, he had his questions, you know, with, with the triangle and like, it was going to take the ball out of his hands more like he's like no i want the ball in my hands but to realize like that actually took a burden off of him and could help them win um so so there was there was some humility from jordan uh with within that um one of the other things this is a, again i feel like i'm almost piling on jordan who i you know a massive fan of uh, from a competitor from an athlete uh, from a greatness perspective um but we talk about motivation a lot in sports and and i think you see from jordan unhealthy motivation right he always had to have an enemy um, he would manufacture things that people didn't say, right? I, I think it was maybe the Pistons or some, maybe the Magic. 
And he's like, you, you hear what that guy just said? And it's like the guy, nobody yeah. said anything. Right? Like he just, Smith. Yeah. 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 So like he just manufactured things. And, and even the story of him getting cut in high school, like it's not a true story. And that guy has become like this victim of, of you idiot. You cut Michael Jordan for the last 50 years, you know? Um, and so I, you know, we talk a lot about self-preservation and, and the desperate need to prove yourself um, and, and how that it's not always a bad thing, but it can be an unhealthy thing. And so again, I think you look at Jordan and he's, he's one of the highest level but you still don't see a man that's like at peace. Um, you still see a man trying to trying to drum up these battles and this drum because he's always got to have somebody to compete against, and and there's a cost to that, you know. Yeah, I mean, do you remember his his Hall of Fame speech a couple of years ago? And that was probably maybe the most we had talked about this at that point of kind of his. Again, it was a different it was a different era back then. We didn't have as much coverage of things. He didn't have the close the look behind the curtain. He didn't have the players having as much of a direct relationship with the fans to be able to tell their story. And you didn't have media that would cover, you know, more of the, more in the line of a TMZ or a, a dead spin or, you know, a gawker in the past, you know, that that didn't exist as much in that era. So a lot of the stuff was kind of hidden behind Jordan's very carefully cultivated public image, um, which was very successful. Um, but yeah, the, the motivation stuff was wild in the, in the story. And, from uh, LeBradford Smith's not not saying something and him showing out like I'm going to humiliate this guy to another one that really stood out to me was the Tony Kukoc saying that you know there's this kid from this war ravaged part of uh, the Balkans you know who's a, a really great player he's been drafted by the the Bulls he's a Jerry Krause favorite which means Pippen and Jordan are going to just hate this guy and we're going to just eat him alive and you know they went at him in the dream team uh, the year in the Olympics. And, you know, I just have to get, they didn't really come back to it much um, once Kukoc, because Kukoc was a key player for, I think, at least four of those, three of those championships, maybe four, you know, and a pretty good player in his own right, maybe never, probably never lived up to his, his talent or skill level. I mean, he was, he was originally kind of like the Dirk Nowitzki, you know, guy, he probably would have been unbelievably good in this year, the NBA now. Um, just a, a tall guy who could shoot, who could run the floor, the kind of European, uh, which at the time that meant, you know, soft in basketball. And you saw the physicality of what the NBA was like in the nineties in the show uh, very, very clearly. But, you know, I, I, I thought of him like, wonder if this guy's career would have turned out a little bit differently if, if he didn't have this kind of like uh, target on his back from the start, from no fault of his own. Just because you know he got caught up in this dispute between Jordan and the the front office, um, and I think that is part of, of what you have to look at when you're talking about leadership is, you know, did you make those guys better? And that's that's kind of what I was alluding to at first. But I, I wonder if I know. I think what Jordan would say, and what a lot of people would say, well, yeah, they, these guys end up with a lot of hardware on their fingers. Of course, they got they 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 were as good as they were ever going to get because they were dragged along with with Jordan. But I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. So that was a great conversation as we went through this and we realized how long we were talking because it's just right in our wheelhouse and, and we loved everything about the conversation. We decided to break this into two parts. So we're going to hold off and figure if uh, the last dance can go into 10 parts, we can make this conversation go into two. So we'll be back and I'll finish up this. Really appreciate uh, you guys all listening and, and joining in. And uh, Kevin, anything else you want to add before we break? No, again, fun, fun conversation. Um, I mean, this is, this is, you know, how we grew up. This is our childhood uh, and, and how we grew up in sports. And so th- I loved the, the show 
and it's just led to tons of conversations outside of it. Um, so it felt like the right opportunity for us to kind of break it down and share our perspective um, and what we've learned from it and, and, and what we hope others can learn from it as well. Not just from a Jordan perspective um, and kind of kind of uh, nostalgic mindset, but from actual from a leadership perspective and what we can take from that. Yeah, so much good stuff. Um, again, the, the conversation really comes into one about Phil Jackson as much as anything, too, and, and the respect that Kevin and I both have for the way he handled this stuff. So um, we'll be back uh, to finish up the conversation. But in the meantime, let us know if there's uh, you have any thoughts. We'd love to talk to people about uh, The Last Dance and Jordan. And I think uh, this opens up some topics that we could talk about in the future of maybe other great, great players. And, you know, we just hope there's as many good looks into, you know, kind of behind the curtain of, uh, of players who can't get enough of that stuff. So thanks for listening to episode 41 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, as always, at Kevin DeShazo, at Mark underscore Hodgkin. would love to hear what you think. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends. Give us a review, maybe drop in a rating. Uh, it means a huge amount to us. And uh, we thank you for listening. And until next time, for Kevin DeShazo, I am Mark Hodgkin. We'll talk to you soon.